Hello, and welcome to this podcast from the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. Welcome to the latest Oxford Institute for Energy Studies podcast. My name is David Ledesma, and I'm Distinguished Research Fellow at the Institute. I'm today joined by Alexei Patonia, who's Research Fellow at the OAS, and Veronika Nenevova, who's Research Associate at Fraunhofer IEG, and we're here today to discuss the key messages that came from their paper, Hydrogen Pipelines versus High Voltage Direct Current, HVDC Lines, Should We Transfer Green Molecules or Electrons? And they co-authored this paper with Ramat Poudine, who's Head of Electricity Research here at the OIS, and Christoph Nolden, who's Head of Networks and Energy at Fraunhofer IEG. And this paper was published by the Institute in November 2023. Alexei and Veronica, welcome to the OIS podcast series. Hello, David. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Hello, David. Hello, Alex. Thanks a lot for invitation, and I'm really glad to participate. Fantastic. Well, look, Alex, can I come to you first? Because in the paper, you're discussing green electrons and green molecules. So why are they compared and how important are they for decarbonization? When we refer to green electrons, uh, we're talking about electricity coming from renewable energy sources. And when we are talking about green molecules, we refer and we are talking primarily about the so-called green hydrogen that is produced from water via electrolysis using renewable power. The energy sector is presently undergoing a transition from traditional fossil fuels towards more sustainable sources, with the goal of achieving ultimate decarbonization. While renewable electricity has long been considered the key component of a net-zero-carbon future, it is unlikely that it will serve as the exclusive solution for powering our economies in in the upcoming decades. This is so primarily because popular forces of renewable energy, like solar, wind, they're subject to geographical constraints and special challenges. These uh, challenges are um, basically restricting their universal applicability. And they also do not generate stable output. So, for instance, when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing, there is no electricity being produced by solar panels or wind farms. In light of these challenges, or basically because of these challenges, the concept of converting renewable power into carbon-neutral hydrogen has gained substantial attention. Green hydrogen, in principle, offers the potential not only to integrate renewable energy sources and balance the grid, but also to serve as a versatile product and feedstock for decarbonizing hard-to-abate sectors that are unlikely to transition fully to electrification. And these sectors, by these sectors, I mean, for instance, steel production or chemical um, industry. So although it would be great if green electrons could address all the decarbonization challenges, they will most likely fail to do so. That is why we will most likely also need green molecules. So, Veronica, coming to you, if I can, you know, why do we have to discuss the transportation of green electrons and green molecules? And what are the main transportation options that you viewed in the paper? While it would be great to be able to generate renewable electricity and hydrogen exactly where we need them, this is often not possible. And in fact, many renewable energy facilities dependent on specific weather conditions are located way far away from the energy is ultimately consumed. Therefore, in a net zero paradigm, we would need to be able to efficiently deliver both green electrons and molecules to their intended consumers. Today, of all of the concepts for decarbonized energy transition through fixed infrastructure, such as HVDC lines and hydrogen pipelines, they seem to be the most attracting attention 
This is mainly due to their relatively high efficiency and reasonable cost compared to their options. Of course, there are other hydrogen carriers that are available or nearly available at the large scale, such as ammonia, methanol, or li liquid organic hydrogen carriers. However, they're beyond the scope of this paper. Alex, you mentioned high-voltage direct current HVDC transmission lines as one of the two main technologies that are discussed in the paper. So can you share with our listeners, what are their key advantages and what are the advantages if compared to hydrogen pipelines? Yes, David, this is a great question. And when we're talking about HVDC lines or high-voltage direct current lines, the main advantage relates to the advantage of direct current per se. And uh, if we compare direct current to alternating current that we are uh, using in our everyday lives, as you know, most of our electric appliances and our power system in general, they run on AC and not DC, uh, which basically uh, relates to HVDC lines. So in addition, most power stations that, we, that generate our electricity, they use rotating devices and they also generate AC. Whereas power stations with static components, for instance, solar power plants, they generate DC. This, however, does not mean that AC that we're using in everyday lives is much more efficient for a long-distance energy transfer. In fact, when it comes to delivering large volumes of energy for long distances, direct current, or in this case, HVDC lines, they are much more efficient and then can transport more power over greater distances with lower losses than most common HVAC lines. This is mostly because unlike AC, DC is a purely reactive power, which means that there are no reactive power losses and it travels further than power with reactive components. Because DC electricity has no frequency, the corona discharge and the skin effect do not affect it in the same way as they do affect AC conductors. So that means DC power and um, DC transmission systems are way more efficient than AC transmission systems that were mostly used to. This is actually why the number of HVDC projects in the world is constantly growing, while an average HVDC line at the moment carries around 3 to 5 gigawatt of electricity or power across some 500 to 1,500 kilometers. The largest HVDC system built in China so far is able to uh, deliver 12 gigawatt of power over a distance of over 3,000 kilometers. This is more than three times longer than the longest hydrogen pipeline built so far. So at the moment, the existing HVDC lines are transferring energy for significantly longer distances than existing hydrogen pipelines. I must say, Alex, that's you know quite remarkable when you give the kind of statistics and the example of China, and you, you compare that to what we're doing in Europe. Uh, but you know, Veronica, coming to you, you know, nothing is perfect in the world. So, are there any disadvantages or challenges of HVDC lines? Definitely, the most obvious disadvantage of HVDC lines relates to their cost nature. Investment in such infrastructure is quite high and would often discourage the interested parties of such projects. One of the biggest cost compartments of HVDC systems are current converter stations at both ends. Their purpose to convert AC power to DC for transmission and then back AC for distribution. From the literature we found out that use of HVDC lines make economic sense only for large quantities. For example, transfer capacities over 20 megawatts. 
and over long distances, which is usually more than six to 800 kilometers of energy transmission. The other challenges are related with environmental and safety aspects, which can hinder the project development due to public opposition. For example, such concerns arise due to fire hazards associated with equipment malfunctioning, and also the construction and operation of HVDC lines may raise concerns related to land use and natural habitat distortion. Well, since you know HVDC lines are so expensive and, and have other deficiencies of flaws, Alex, you know, are hydrogen pipelines significantly different? And also, you know, what are their key advantages? Well, David, you know, there's nothing perfect in this world and the hydrogen pipelines are not flawless either. So um, in principle, they can potentially deliver greater volumes of energy at a cheaper cost than HVDC lines. I said in principle because operating hydrogen pipelines at the moment are too few if compared to natural gas pipelines or even HVDC lines. At the same time, the rationale underpinning this enthusiasm stems from the economic advantages of uh, pipelines in general, which are typically the most cost-effective means to transport large quantities of gases such as methane over land. So pipelines offer lower cost per unit and higher capacity compared to other terrestrial transportation options. That is why with higher diameter of pipes and high pressure of the transported hydrogen, hydrogen pipelines could achieve higher efficiency in energy delivery than HVDC lines. For instance, the pure transportation losses associated with hydrogen pipelines are expected to be only around 1% per 1,000 kilometers. If we compare that to 3%, around 3% per 1,000 kilometers in case of HVDC lines, it is way, way less. So in addition, because of a certain level of similarity between natural gas and hydrogen, companies and governments are thinking about repurposing natural gas pipelines for hydrogen delivery. This is because it can save a lot of money. This conversion is estimated to account for only 10 to 35% of new construction expenses. So Veronica, can I come back to you then? Because you know, if hydrogen pipelines are so attractive, you know, why are there so few? Can hydrogen pipelines, say, be compared to natural gas pipelines? And do the same economic principles actually apply? Well, one of the key reasons for the limited development and use of hydrogen pipelines could be the fact that at the moment these pipelines exist as a part of industry hub, and it's usually produced and consumed on site by specific industries, such as oil refineries or petrochemical industries. These sectors typically use hydrogen as a feedstock to synthesize more complex products and not used as a separate energy carrier, which would have it's only dependent value. As a result, why an average existing hydrogen pipeline transport up to 14 gigawatt of energy over a distance up to 100 kilometers, the largest and longest hydrogen projects in operation are capable of delivering up to 30 gigawatt across 1,000 kilometers. When compared to natural gas pipelines, hydrogen pipelines have considerably high cost of construction which is estimated to be in the range of 10 to 70% higher than natural gas pipelines due to different materials for the pipeline system, system design, and suitable compressors. Due to high upfront costs and the situation where demand for hydrogen is not certain yet, investment in hydrogen delivery infrastructure is not as active as it could have been today. Crucially, the properties of hydrogen itself makes the planning 
and operation of hydrogen pipelines more difficult than for natural gas pipelines. This is partly due to the fact that hydrogen has much lower volumetric energy density than natural gas under ambient conditions. For this reason, a larger volume of hydrogen is required at the same pressure to achieve the same calorific value as natural gas, and thus more energy is also required to pump the same amount of hydrogen as natural gas through a pipeline. Another key difference between hydrogen and natural gas pipelines lies in its operation. The main requirement of low-cost hydrogen delivery is having a large and steady flow during the year, and it's usually around 75% or higher. Due to this nature of renewable hydrogen, there is a requirement of additional storage facilities and other types of hydrogen to fill the pipeline, for example, hydrogen coming from steam methane reforming combined with carbon capture and storage. And this will fill the pipeline and will reduce the cost of hydrogen delivery. So Alex, you know, can I come back to you then for the million dollar question, if I may? Because while it seems, you know, listening to you both talk today, it seems that these technologies you know, have both advantages and also drawbacks. Is there a clear winner? I think everyone loves, loves million-dollar questions, David, but I, I'm afraid I might not provide you with a great answer because I don't think we should be talking about winners and losers here. Although hydrogen pipelines could, in principle, transfer larger volumes of energy at cheaper costs, while HVDC lines are currently delivering power over significantly larger distances, longer distances. Talking about winners and losers in this context may not necessarily be applicable just because climate change and decarbonization are very complex issues and they need a variety of solutions instead of just a single one. This is very unfortunate first and foremost, but this is so because no single technology at the moment can address all the challenges associated with reaching net zero carbon. For instance, not everything and not all industries can be electrified. And not all the sectors desperately need hydrogen to decarbonize their operations. That is why when making a decision or taking a specific step forward, we should not look at each of these technologies separately and uh, should instead consider them within the context of the entire energy system with all its specifics and nuances. In that context, it is extremely likely that each of these options will take a special and unique place which cannot be replicated by, by, by um, the other. This perspective is essential because analyzing isolated components of a complex mechanism often fails to provide decision makers, including managers, business leaders, and policymakers with sufficient information for optimal decision making. The entirety of energy system seldom behaves as simply as the sum of its constituent parts. Alex, that's absolutely true. But, you know, investors are still most likely to need to prioritize one technology over the other because they only have limited funds in most cases. So, Veronica, can I perhaps come back to you? Because in this regard, what will the final decision of which technology to choose depend on? Now, should we finally be transferring electrons or molecules? What is the role of infrastructure, and by that I mean HVDC and H2 pipelines, from a system perspective? It's a great question, David, but again, there is no simple answer. Of course, the decision can be influenced by complex energy system models that show the most cost-effective solution. However, in addition to techno-economic characteristics, factors such as existing infrastructure, adaptability, risk assessment, and social acceptance will play a crucial role for decision makers. In addition to investment, other financial 
non-financial concerns such as safety, environmental impact, and flexibility should be considered when deciding which energy transfer option to choose. And last but not least, other important factors such as country-specific geographical characteristics, weather conditions, market maturity of relevant energy vector, government policies and regulatory frameworks for the grid development and use are also expected to play a crucial role. So on the question which infrastructure should we ultimately choose, we can say with certainty that it's inefficient to look at these technologies and projects in isolation as they're likely to become integral parts of a complex energy system. They shouldn't be seen as a competitors, but rather as a complementary elements, each with unique features. The energy transition is a very complex challenge and accommodating both in our energy infrastructure is be the key to a sustainable future. Well, Alex, if, can I, I'd like to come back to you, if I may, because, you know, I just wondered if you had any kind of final words and views, because, you know, I have to say, this is a fascinating paper, and I urge our listeners to go and download it from the OIS website and read it. But, you know, what are your kind of final words on this? Thank you very much, David, for presenting the paper. I, I would encourage our listeners to read it. And also, I would love to pay credit to our co-authors, Rahman Pudini and uh, Christoph Nolden. My final words for, for this piece would just be, basically keep trying to find the best solution we, we can, because, you know, climate change is a very complex issue. And unfortunately, as I mentioned, none of these solutions we mentioned in our paper is perfect. And climate change is just, you know, too complex to address with just one tool or two tools. So we need as many solutions as possible. So keep trying and keep trying to find the solution we need. Yeah, and that exactly, you know, builds upon what Veronica said in her response earlier on. Well, look, Alex and Veronica, thank you very much for your time today. And as always, I, I really enjoyed our conversation that builds on the messages and also discusses the key points that came from the paper, Hydrogen Pipelines versus HVDC Lines, Should We Transfer Green Molecules or Electrons? Uh, that was published by the Institute, as I said earlier, in November 2023. So I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this podcast. Thank you. And goodbye to everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. You can find other podcasts, as well as our written research, on our website at www.oxfordenergy.org. If you would like more details about our energy transition, gas, oil, electricity or China research programmes, then please contact us at information at oxfordenergy.org.